Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. So what we're doing is we're going to take this book. Everybody hold your New Testament out. You got one? Everybody should have one, all right? No phones out. This is a no phone zone. This is what it's like to be at my house at dinner. Okay, no phones allowed, all right? And so I want to uh, kind of give a background tonight as if you have not been here the last two nights. And those of you that are watching, welcome. And if you're watching this now that the new Tesla phone is coming out, if you're on Mars, you could be seeing this there on Mars. The Tesla phone will be able to connect. But um, in 2020, toward the end, and I just think back how long ago that seems when we were just in this wondering if the world was ever going to be the same. Would we ever get to see one another again? And a lot of things like that going on. And in the middle of the cantankerous election and all of this that had been happening, I felt the Lord just kind of nudging me to, to do something that I'd done when I first got saved, which was just to read the New Testament. Now, when I got saved in the third year of college, and I had been kind of attending church as a, as a younger person and, and really not understanding that if you opened the Bible that things that are written here could happen now. To me, it was all about whatever happened here happened then, but none of this stuff happens now. And when all of a sudden I began to realize that everything in this book, there were, it was possible to happen now, and if it wasn't happening now, it wasn't the Bible's fault, it was our fault. And so there was a, there was a, a radical shift in my thinking, and, and uh, I wanted to get in the book. I wanted, and so I would read the New Testament because I thought, I never really heard about being born again. I went to, when I was struggling in college, I went to a pastor. This is exactly what happened. I went to the pastor of a denomination that I had, my parents had attended growing up, and I went into his office, and I began to bear my soul to this pastor. Exactly what happened. He lit up a cigarette, and he looked at me and said, you know, you might need to see a psychologist. Now, he's probably right. After what I told him, I probably, I probably should have gone deeper. But uh, there was not even a mention of being able to be born again, or why don't we just look at what the scripture says. It was instantly more like managing my psychological state. And so I go into a campus group, not really wanting to be there. Somebody had invited me, and there was a guy up on the, on the stage with the guitar, and he was kind of, you know, you have people in churches where they, you know, they, but I think they only had five strings. One of them had broken, and he was kind of, his eyes were kind of rolling around in his head. He going, hallelujah, smacking a lot, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want everything to be real free. He's kind of blinking a lot. I just want everything to be free. Now, we'd had to pay $2.50 to get into this thing. I want everything to be free. And this guy in the back hollers. He said, hey, how come I had to pay $2.50? I thought, that's the first person that's made sense in church to me in years. So I went up and introduced myself to him. And that's the guy that led me to Christ. Uh, So from that moment, as he began to open up the New Testament to me, we would go to his his apartment and read it and I mean I wanted to be just like him he just I remember one time we we were on our way to my first Christian concert and he got out of the car he kind of grabbed his pants like this he said 
fixed to go get blessed. And I was watching him. I just got out of the car and I just went, me too. Just anything I, everything I saw him do, but he was a New Testament reader. And as I began to read this, because I literally would just go over and over the New Testament thinking, what else did they not tell me about? What else is in here? So I was, I was like a, I was like scratching around looking for buried treasure. And everywhere I go, I'd find it. So I would just listen to the New Testament. I'd, I, I went and bought the New Testament on tape. You could get it back on cassette tape. This fellow that from England, Alexander Scorby, he kind of reminded me for some strange reason of Count Dracula. So that was a little freaky. And then when my kids were born and I wanted them to listen to the New Testament, I got a brilliant idea that I would get James Earl Jones reading the New Testament. I put that on one night, and a few minutes later, my kids came in and said, Daddy, we're scared. I just realized it was Darth Vader reading them the Bible, you know, so. But anytime I would get discouraged, I would go, you know, out on campus as I got into the ministry, and I would preach for days, and I mean, for a five-year period, uh, I would go 30 nights, take a couple of days off, another 30 nights, within a five-year period in the 80s. I was a part of planting 32 churches in five years, so that's 60 months, 32 churches. So every other month, I was in a church plant for over five years, and that, those, the core of those churches are what became what is now known as Every Nation. And then not only was I speaking at night, but going out during the day to fraternities, sororities, football teams, out in public, and so, and it wasn't, I had to speak 30 days because it took that long to get a crowd. I mean, I've, I've walked into rooms, Joe, where there was two people there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say, let's all stand up together. You know, it's like there's two of them. Turn around and greet your one neighbor. I mean, so you learn anybody can speak to a lot of people, but it's that one or two or ten and giving them vision. But whenever I would do those meetings, I would, I would come back to my room, I'd come back home, and I was just empty. And I just, with my last bit of strength I would reach over and hit my cassette player and the New Testament would begin to play and I would listen to it all night long I've been in so many moments uh, church planting and in crises where I would just all I knew to do was to take the New Testament and I say the New Testament because there is something special about the new that's why it's called the New Testament there is a new covenant there is a better way there is a new and living way there's something greater than Moses had. There's something greater than Abraham had. There's something greater than David had. Hebrews says that apart from these heroes of faith, we, they would not be made perfect without us. God has done something better for us, is what the book of Hebrews says. And so because of that, and because these writers who had been Jewish and had seen what, the, what it meant to be a believer in that context, and yet having experienced Christ and then come over into this new moment of New Testament living, they were able to reach back and get the best of that and bring it into this context and show us what it's like and how it's to be lived. It's not like it was in the old. We don't have to go back and do the things that they did in the past. We don't have to go back and do the things they did in the past. We now have a, this new and living way. So that's why we emphasize, and I think we need to emphasize, the New Testament. Not only that, as we'll talk about in a minute, there's, there's just been this almost losing of this. It's almost like people are actually illiterate again. It's like we, we have all these Bibles on, in every form and fashion, and people know less about it. 
All the surveys tell us that people are just ignorant about what the Bible says. And so people come to us today. They come up to the front of a, of a, of a room like this after the meeting and they ask me questions and Pastor James questions and others that are, that are here in the book. And so they just, they kind of quote these, people kind of make up their own verses. It's kind of like there's another book out there called the Book of Hesitations they're quoting from. And they quote these kind of stuff that you think, wait a minute, where did you hear that? And so we've never been more needy of the word of God and we've never and, and had more opportunity, but we're, we're, we're almost like we're back in the dark ages where we can't read and we're depending on somebody like me or Pastor James to interpret it for you. And so we've regressed way back. Whereas if you go back into the 1500s, Martin Luther, the great reformer, found one verse of scripture in essence in the book of Romans that the just will live by faith. And when he realized that from that one verse of scripture, the whole world was changed in a moment. It was called the Protestant Reformation because people began to go back to the book. Simultaneously almost, the printing press was created and the first thing coming off of it was the, was the Bible. And now the common person could read the Bible. When we went into a, a certain nation that has a, a very strong religious tone to it, uh, people would come to us and say, uh, we'll go to hell if, uh, the, our religious leaders tell us if we read the Bible, we'll go to hell. Can you imagine somebody actually telling someone that if you read the Bible, you'll go to hell? Why? Because when you read the Bible, you're going to realize that a lot of what's going on here is not what is happening. So as long as we can kind of don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, then we're okay. It was Augustine who, St. Augustine, we call him, but Augustine who was struggling with his own sinfulness. And he'd gotten into the philosophies of the day to kind of soothe his own conscience. You know, if you, if you can't have victory over sin, and one of the reasons why we've called this winning in life is because if you don't win as a Christian, the real battles you're supposed to win, if you don't win, you'll just quit. Whatever you lose that consistently, you'll just quit. So if you can't live the Christian life, then you'll just quit it. And so there has to be, as, as the scripture says in 1 John, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So there has to be some kind of victory for you, or you'll just quit and go, you'll go find some other internet guru that offers you their keys or their steps or their secret formula or their little insight for a, a certain price to be able to kind of feel better, okay? And so as we begin to look at this, Augustine basically heard he was in his backyard and he heard a little child saying, and it was like a nursery rhyme back then. Now, this is, you know, fourth century, you know, the 400s. He's saying, take up and read, take up and read. And Augustine heard that in his mind is, pick up the Bible and read. And he opened it up to the book of Romans, chapter 13, where it says something in essence, not in lustful passion, not in immorality, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to obey its lusts. And Augustine says, in one moment I was delivered. By one word, all of the powers of lust and perversion were broken over him. You can read about it in his confessions, which is really the, the, the first real biographical work of history, where somebody is kind of biographically explaining and telling their own inner workings in their soul. And so for us, for me rather, coming into 2020 with that as a backdrop, 
realizing that there were so many voices out there, so much polarization and hyperpolarization and contention that the Lord was calling me to just get back to the book. Now, I kept reading the New Testament over the years, but in 2020, I told Pastor Steve Merle, I said, look, I think the, the theme for the next year's fast in 2021 should be being devoted to the Word. And so they kind of changed it a little bit and called it Abide fine as long as you get in the word so what I did in the last year was I read the New Testament every week it's what I felt the Lord wanted me to do actually read it 62 times listened read and as I did that there were some things that began to happen to me uh, that I want to share tonight there's some things it's like why would you do that is this some you know like a pancake eating contest is this you know, a spelling bee where you're trying to impress people. The reason I didn't want to say this and get into the details of what I do, uh, what I did about it is because I didn't want people to think I'm up here trying to be Barney Fife and, and act like I've done something. I really, I really wanted to read it every week because my, my hope was is that the average person would read the New Testament every month. That was really my goal. 260 chapters uh, if you just read 10 chapters a day for 26 days, that gives you four days off. Basically, you got a day off of rest, if you, if you will. But that's, that's a makeable shot. That's not a half-court shot. That's not a Steph Curry three-pointer. That's not even a free throw. That's a little layup. You can do 10 chapters a day, okay? I promise you, especially listing. 17 out of the 27 New Testament books can be read in under 20 minutes, so let me say that again. 17 out of the 27 New Testament books can be read in 20 minutes or less. Okay, now think about that. You can read more than half of the New Testament with just 20-minute shots like that. I mean, that is an espresso shot for you right there. And what will begin to happen is I talk tonight. I'm going to give you just 100 simple steps. No, I'm going to give you 10 that I think happened to me and I think are repercussions or consequences of what happens when you do that, all right? So, with that said, um, the first thing is, is that you begin to refocus on Jesus. You know, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, I used to think to myself, does that mean I'm supposed to imagine him, you know? Of course, I got hung up on how Jesus would walk then. You know, I always thought Jesus kind of walked like this, like Ricky Bowser, you know. <laughs> Ricky kind of walks like that, so I thought, well, that's Jesus like that. That's Jesus walking like that. So then I get, so I get trying to imagine Jesus got me a little goofy, you know. But really, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Ricky's on the front row, by the way. Uh, fixing your eyes on Jesus is really fixing your eyes on his word. When you go Matthew through Revelation, Whereas Tennessee folks, like, they love to put an S on Revelation. When you go through, like, Walmarts, you know, <laughs> Revelations. When you go through Matthew to Revelation, you begin to see the, the movie. And you go through it again and again. And now, all of a sudden, your mind begins to walk with Jesus through these things that he did. You see the man coming down the roof, lowered in through the tiles. And Jesus telling him to take up your bed and go. 
You see the man with a withered hand and Jesus saying, stretch out your hand. Anytime, you know, when you have something wrong or any kind of defect, we always like to hide. And Jesus came in into, to this synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand and all he does is publicly say, stretch out your hand. In other words, sometimes we have to, to see our weaknesses and let them come out and be willing to expose what we've been hiding. Stretch out your hand and you'll be restored. And you see him going and calling Levi, and you just watch through. It's not just verses that you're trying to memorize just to do it because you're supposed to do it. You begin to see the movie of this man, this, this messenger, if you will, the, the message from heaven to earth. And then you walk through the, 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 the heckling and the, and the rebuking and the, and the challenges of religious people. I can just instantly go into that virtual world, if you will, and I'm there walking with him and I'm seeing the disciples who were constantly missing it and telling him what he should do and him saying, get behind me, Satan. And then you see him telling the, 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 the disciples, how are we going to feed this crowd? And they go, I don't know. And he says, you know, how many, how many loaves and fish do you have? And, they, and you see this multiplication of this going on. And you just walk through this and you put yourself in the place of the disciples. And you say, what would I have done if I was there? I would have been just like them. I would have been telling Jesus it isn't going to work. I would have told him, do not go to the tomb of Lazarus and call him out in public. He's been dead four days. Jesus, don't do that. Let's, let's get a prayer meeting. Let's come back tonight when nobody's around. We'll just get a little prayer meeting. We'll grab, we'll grab hands and we'll pray for Lazarus. And if we hear him scratching behind that rock, we know that God answered our prayer. We don't have to publicly make a big deal about it. Let's do this kind of discreetly. But Jesus said, no, Lazarus, come forth. He had to say, Lazarus, if he had just said, come forth, the entire resurrection would have happened. No, no, everybody else stay where you are. Lazarus, come forth. You walk through the New Testament. You see what he said to the Galatians and why, and to the, to the believers at Ephesus. You walk through, and now all of a sudden, just like going to the mall, and you see all the different shops in the mall, and you know what's there, you are some familiar path. Now you all of a sudden have in your mind you're living in each of these books. You're not a stranger. It says in Ephesians that remember when in times past you and I were alienated from the covenants of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise rather, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, even if you are born again and your name is written in the book of life, if you're a stranger to the covenants of promise, you will practically live without hope and practically live as if God was not in your life, even though you are a child of God. And as sad as it is for people who don't know God to live apart from that life of God, it's even sadder when somebody who has been, you know, purchased by God, name in the book of life, and you are, you are a stranger to the covenant of promise. My older brother, who I've told about many years, was an atheist. He was, a law, he was in law school, came home to talk me out of my faith. His third year law school, he found out I was a Christian. He had a master's degree in psychology. He was at the top of his class at SMU Law School. His hobby was harassing Christians. When my brother found out I was a Christian, he came home to talk me out of my faith. The weekend he came home to talk me out of my faith, we baptized him. He came up out of the water. He said, you haven't answered all my questions. He said, but I think I've been asking the wrong questions. My brother is an attorney in Austin, Texas, Ben Brooks. Hello, Ben, if you're watching this. Ben came to Bethel a few years ago, and he gave a message in the old sanctuary 
called Lessons from the Law. And he said, as an attorney, he said, I'm shocked. He said, he said the first lesson is read the contract. Read the contract. He said, when you get into a lawsuit, you're going to have a, a jury of your peers ultimately decide, and they're no experts. They're going to have to, they're going to have to understand what the issues are. So if somebody, an average person has to understand the contract, you need to understand it. He said, I had a man that came to my office, he said, that had been working at the same company for 30 years, and he got fired. And he came into my brother and said, I, I've, got, I've been fired from this company. My brother said, do you have any contracts or paperwork? He said, well, I've got some stock. He said, bring it to my office. Ben said, he brought the stock to my office. I counted it all up and realized he owned 51% of the company. He had been fired from his own company because he did not read the contract. This is how we live. This is how we live. And so we're going to read it. So what happens is we begin to focus on Jesus. Number two, we, we remember, look at Revelation 2.5. Revelation 2.5. This was one of the, 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 the key verses for me in getting me back to what I did in the beginning. I think I've got my wife's glasses. They just don't fit right. I just feels a little funky. All right. You would have known had I not told you, but I still have to just explain that to myself in front of y'all. Well, it's funky there. He's telling the church at Ephesus, I have this against you. Now, listen, this is Jesus raised from the dead who everybody thinks, well, there's no, Jesus can't be mad at anybody. He's not mad at anybody. I mean, read the book of Revelation. Everything, all of the judgments and the trumpets and the seals and the bowls, are, are the wrath of God, and it says, who is worthy to do this? It's the lamb that was slain. And the reason why, everybody tells me that, you know, why is it God is real and God is loving, why does he allow evil? Well, the book of Revelation is God's final judgment against evil, and it starts with the church. Judgment always starts in the household of God, but, but, but God is going to deal with evil and expunge it from the universe, and that's what Revelation is about. But he says, I have this against you. Now, this is to a church group. I have this against you. You have left or abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, look at this, verse 5. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, the lampstand gives light. And when God turns the light out on a congregation, it's dark. God basically says, I'm going to come and unplug the light myself. Now, these churches in Revelation where he said that to, those are the darkest places on the planet. You're talking about Turkey right now in terms of spiritual darkness. When the light goes out, the light goes out. But he says, remember where you've fallen. We were here. I used to do this. Oh, when I first got saved, I used to do that. Oh, I used to do this. Oh, we used to go out and do that. Oh, we used to read our Bibles. We used to actually bring our Bibles to church and have them all marked up. We had them all marked up. I mean, we, we didn't need, we didn't need, a, you know, a PowerPoint was this. That was the PowerPoint. 
We had the word and people, people, you know, the pastor didn't have to do everything for us like we're just spoon feeding you. We, we, we want to, we think that the studies are saying that we need to just make it so easy for people. You don't have to do anything. We'll park your car. We'll give you coffee. Hey, we'll give you a ride. We'll piggyback you into the congregation. I mean, we're doing everything for them. Hey, don't even look at, don't, it's too, you're too weak. Don't even raise, don't even worry about the Bible. We'll put it up for you. You don't even have to sing. We'll sing for you. We'll turn it up so loud. You won't even hear the fact that you're not singing. And your, and your attention, our attention spans get collectively shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And then we want more and more of God with giving less and less. And that's really the deal we want. Who can give me the most? So we go from church to church to church, seeing who can give us the most for the least amount. All right, remember. So number one, Number one, these are all good. I didn't mean them to begin with R, but they're all going to be begin with R. We're going to refocus on Jesus. Number two, we're going to remember from where we've fallen. And this is very subjective. Remember where you have fallen from. Repent is the third R and do the deeds you did at first. And don't think that this, this see, I, I'm, you're going to hear the rest of it. I, I just, I'm, I'm tempted to say everything at once and just end up going, you know, just, you just, Sound like a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. Okay, repent. Number, number four, he's going to rescue you. You're going to get rescued. You're going to get rescue, rescued by reading the New Testament. On a monthly basis, you're going to get rescued from ditches, distractions, and deception. You're going to just get rescued from just spam, just gimmicks. Somebody getting up and, you know, giving, they, they pull some Old Testament verse out and, and God gave me this revelation. So we end up believing who's the most sincere or who's the most believable or who's the most loudest, who has the biggest bluster. And so we just are suckers. We become suckers for any kind of spiritual gimmick that comes down the road. And when you read the New Testament, you all of a sudden, it's like, so all of a sudden you go, you know what, this, the, 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 that's not in the New Testament. You've actually, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, you need to learn what it means to not, ge- not go beyond what is written. And so we have all of these obscure revelations, all these weird prophecies. I believe in prophecy. I believe God wants to reveal stuff. But we have been led around by some of the biggest nonsense you can imagine. And it ends up, we just look like fools. Because we don't know the book. And we've got nobody to blame but ourselves because we've got ample opportunity to read the book. So you're going to be rescued from that, from ditches. You know, when somebody goes, when you begin to read the New Testament, there's a, there's a balancing factor, Pastor Dave, in it, and you're a theologian, so you'll, you'll agree with me on this. Like, you can have somebody read the book of Galatians, for instance, where it talks about the works of the law. And you say, oh, we can't do the works of the law so that means that whatever I do, I don't want to do anything good because I don't want God to think I'm trying to earn my way to him. So the more I sin, it must be okay because aren't we just sinners and it's just grace? Wait a minute, but Galatians not only talks about the works of the law, but in the other part of the letter, it talks about the works of the flesh. And so the works of the law are trying to earn your righteousness. It's like people who who do bad things and think they can put enough money in the plate and that's going to buy God to look away. He's not going to be bought. 
And so within the letters of Paul are the, some people think hermeneutics is the study of the monsters, but but hermeneutics is a, that's an old, really old reference. Anybody that laughed, I know how how old you are, or unless you watch Nick at Night like I did. I don't even think Nick at Night's on anymore. That's how old I am, Nick at Night. You don't even know what Nick at Night is. Anyway, but it's, it's interpreting things. Okay, we don't just pull out the Bible and, and, and play Bible roulette and say, you know, you know, Judas went out and hung himself. Oh, Lord, give me another word. Go and do likewise. Oh, wait, I, can't, you know, I mean, that's how people live. They live. They live like it's like a spiritual eight ball. Well, I got that word, but let's get maybe I'll shake it up and get another one. You know, remember the eight ball where you could ask it a question. and If you didn't like it, you shake it again and keep going till you got the right answer. Rescue you from ditches and distractions. You know, when you're in a race, when you're in a marathon race, there are people that come out with water to help you. Sister Carol Fiddler, who's one of our pastors over the years, she was a marathon runner, ran in the Boston Marathon back in 2013. And so when you're in a race like we're in spiritually, imagine a marathoner and a, and a runner comes out or a person with water comes out to give it to you. And what most p- people do, especially in the charismatic world, is they turn and start chasing the water person. Now they're just over there splashing in the water. They don't, because they have no direction of where they're going, then any diversion will do. It rescues us. It restores our faith. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 talks about having a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction, Paul said, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If you look at that word sincere, it's, it's a word, it's, it's like in the old King James where it talks about the sincere milk of the word. It, in, the, in one of the definitions, if you look it up, is it's pure, sincere, pure, but it also means uninjured. And what happens is that we have all these injuries to our faith. That's why when Jesus was confronting Peter, and he said, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me, not betray him, deny me. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? He didn't say, Peter, come here, I want to pray for you. You know, you've got this spirit of denial on you. And um, just, you know, you're going to really, I just, let's all get around Peter. Let's just pray for Peter. Peter's got a denying spirit. You know, that's what we would have done. Lord, we just lift up Peter, and I just foresee, you know, Lord, just tell me you're going to really deny the Lord here. I mean, think about it. They could have done that. Jesus did not have a little prayer meeting to bind the denying spirit on Peter. Here's what he said to Peter. He said, you're going to deny me. He said, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And once you've turned Strengthen your brothers. Jesus wasn't, is, he wasn't going to be surprised at Peter's failure. It was what was going to happen because of that failure. And as you read the New Testament, you're going to find this loving Jesus restoring your injured faith. Maybe you've prayed for people and it didn't turn out the way you thought. I can't, I can't list the amount of times I have had unanswered prayer like I thought my prayers could be answered. And when you walk into a room and people think you're supposed to be the great man of God, you're talking about trying to say, look, I'm not trying to lower your expectations here, but, you know, if I'm, I'm simply doing what you as believers do. I'm going to lay my hands and pray. Now, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open 
in college classrooms with students, not in church services. I could go down the list of things that I've seen, but I've also had prayers probably more gone unanswered. But, but if, as I read the New Testament, it's, it's not about me. It's not about, it's, it, it's, it restores your faith so that I don't care. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. I don't care what it is because I, if he had not told me to do it, I wouldn't do it. In fact, that's what I say sometimes. I said, Lord, I'm about to pray what you told me to pray. So I'm going to leave the results in your hands. I'm just doing what you told me to do. If you had not said this in the Bible, I wouldn't be trying to get you to do this. Like, hey, you're God, right? Well, what about this? What if I actually prayed and you heal somebody? I'm not trying to talk him into something that he's not already said. But maybe there's something in this prayer that I don't know. And so we leave the results up to God. It rescues us, restores our injured faith. Number six, it renews our strength. Isaiah 40, I didn't say this, but... I got a few weeks into reading the New Testament and I felt to read Isaiah 40 through 66. I call it the gospel of Isaiah because between Isaiah 40 and 66, so much of what is said by Isaiah gets quoted by the New Testament writers. So in those readings of the New Testament that I do, I read, that's the preamble, if you, if you will. And Isaiah 40 says, they, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And one of the things that happens to me as I go through it week after week is I just keep getting stronger. I mean, I'm 66 years old. I hate to say it, but I've been in this 40 years, so you got to do the math. I'm still out on campus. I'm still out there to midnight, talking to kids, traveling all the time, riding in my 10-year-old Sprinter van. I wish, I need a little more of the prosperity gospel to get me a newer Sprinter van. (laughs) It's still holding together. Everybody talking about somebody having their big jet. We got our Sprinter van. It's 10 years old. We're really, we're really proud of our old van, aren't we? But you know what? It doesn't matter. We're full of joy. The, 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 the God is at work, and he's renewing our strength. And he wants to do that for you. You're not too old. It's not too late. You can still be used of God. Where was I? You said you were closing. Rekindle, rekindle. The gifts, the callings, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that's within you. Stir it up. That means you have to do something. You have to stir it up. There has to be action you take. And there's nothing greater that I could say to do than to do this. Why? Because it's like, well, wait a minute. Do I pray or do I read the Bible? When you read the Bible, you will pray. But when you pray only... Your prayers can drift, and now you're into just many times imaginations or worrying, calling it prayer. The word keeps your mind, this wild horse that's trying to run off. The word keeps your mind, and now you can't read very far. And when you start seeing these promises, you, you'll just stop and you say, Lord, this is incredible. I mean, you just talk to him, Lord, this is this for me? Can I, Lord, can I pray that prayer? All right, well, I'm, okay, I'm, yeah, I didn't hear anything. I'm going to say you wrote it. I mean, I'll just put my finger right there and say, Lord, I'm holding this promise before you. My prayers are energized, and I can go back as I read the New Testament again and again. I remember all the places that he answered my prayer. I remember it all the time. So I remember when God spoke to me there in that church service, and that's, that was here. And our strength gets renewed. We rekindle the gifts we can rethink. You know, you can actually 
rethink, I rethink everything now. You know how these commercials are saying, question everything? When some thought comes into my mind, it literally has to go through the gauntlet of Matthew to Revelation. These are all my podcasts. People say, what podcast do you listen to? I listen to the Matthew podcast, you know, the Mark podcast once a week, the Luke, the John you know, the Acts, the Romans, the Corinthians. I just go all, those are, those are my, that's my podcast. I got 27 apps that work. These are 27 apps. And each book in the Bible has a different app function that helps me. And so whenever I get a thought that runs through my mind, I say, I'm going to rethink that thought and see if it can make it through the gauntlet of the New Testament. I'm going to see if it makes it through the gauntlet of the New Testament. You'd be surprised how little gets out on the other end. Look at this, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, page 177. Put on my wife's glasses for this. For though we walk in the flesh, verse 3, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, strongholds are not, we, we've, we've got this notion that there's this, all these strongholds out here, there's this, this cosmic battle, and there is a dimension of that that's true. But a lot of our imaginations about that are really probably a little off base. Because as you'll read here, the strongholds are really inside of us. Look at the context. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, you see, raised against what? The knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. See, Christians all want everybody else's disobedience to be judged, but not their own. He said, we'll deal with with their disobedience once your obedience is complete. You trying to get prayer in the public schools, Pastor Rice? No, I'm just trying to get it in the church. You're going to get the Ten Commandments in the, in the schools? Well, we don't even read them. We're, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to march for the Bible and be ignorant of the Bible. It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. I say, I, I caught myself. This is on video. I'm going to be nice. It's just not good. You know? So we rethink you know, when you get on an airplane, you got to go through a narrow door, don't you? Now, why do they go to all this trouble? I mean, I just, I have a dance I do. I lost my global entry. I forgot to renew it. I had this frequent traveler thing and I forgot to renew it. Now I'm back in purgatory. Now I'm in the end of the line at the airport. And so I've had to relearn the dance where you get, you know, you got to know when you got to loosen your shoes get your belt. I mean, I'm just doing this dance all the way up till I get to the conveyor belt to just, I mean, I'm thinking about just getting one of those warm-ups like they have in the NBA where you can just take them off like that. 
But why are they so picky about what you carry on that plane? Did you see this? This, this happened like yesterday. So the, hey, this is an American. This is an American. I knew before I read it, it was an American. An American tourist in Israel brought from the Golan Heights, which is in the north of Israel, somebody had sold them an unexploded shell of, a, of like a cannon. And they were going to bring that back. I'm telling you, I, I think these are Tennessee people because a lot of Tennessee people... <laughs> Love Israel. I'm telling you, I've got to find out who this is. And they said when they unveiled at the airport security this shell at Ben Gurion Airport, the place went into chaos. That everybody was just in panic. It's just chaos. Read, look at it tonight. Now, the reason why they're so picky is because it only takes one little bomb to ruin your flight. Just a little one. I mean, people, people putting bombs in their, in their shoes. I mean, they're checking fillings because they, they want to protect those. And you see, that's why you take every thought captive. You can see the thoughts that have become strongholds, that have become ideologies that have dominated cultures and nations and epochs. Communism was an idea that within 70 years, from 1917 to the Bolshevik Revolution, been 70 years, dominated one-third of the planet by an idea. If you don't take every thought captive, it will take you captive. And most of the time, the thoughts that we the reason why Satan is so powerful with us is because he tells us what we want to hear. It's seductive. He is, he is a seducer. If he showed up with red hair, blood, you know, in a pitchfork, nobody would, but he doesn't show up like that. He appears as an angel of light. And so here we are just like a like a fish going for the glittery lure, we're caught. And that's what it is. Satan has been hunting people like we hunt animals. He has been a hunter of humanity for millennia. He, do you think you know the, the way a deer goes or a, a, a bass? He knows your instincts. And if you live by your instincts, you are, as, as Peter says, you are a creature to be captured and killed. And so, most of the time when I talk to people about what's in the book and they've already made up their mind because they feel something or they think the Lord told them something. Now they've, yeah, I, I think you heard something. It was just another spirit. Your flesh can have the same, your flesh has learned to imitate. I love to hear people imitate other people. Don't think that Satan in your flesh can kind of mimic the voice of God. And it's so amazing how so many people think the voice in their head is God, but it's so funny. It's like, man, God thinks just like I think. 
That ought to, get, that ought to scare you when, when, when the Bible itself says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and then he can return to the Lord. This is what we're up against. The final R would just be receive. I mean, I can't, I can't, there's, there's nothing I could promise you from my own experience that would come close to what God's word promises you if you'll read his word. A couple of things and then we'll close. It's 815, that's all right. I, you, one step over and then they'll hate me. I just, I'd rather leave early than too late. Look at this. This is the ninth? Sorry, well, so what? I can't count. It's like a tooth. It fell out. Uh, shows that I'm local. Uh, let's see. John 15. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is page 105, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that which bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If, you, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, I don't know what that fire is, but that doesn't sound good. So this is not getting into theological debate about, does that mean you lose your salvation? All I know is, that's not good. Like 1 Corinthians 3 says, if somebody's works are burned up, they will be saved, yet it's through fire. Pastor Rice, what does that mean? I don't know. It isn't good either. It's like, I, I, I remember the old Tarzan movies when Tarzan would just say, man bad, Jane good. Fire bad. That's just Tarzan talk right there. Just fire bad. Okay? If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, gathered into the fire, and they're burned. If, now here comes an if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now see, I can't promise you something better than that. Because I can promise you something, but I don't have the ability to give it to you. People ask me, Pastor David, said, we need a, a million dollars for this project. We thought we'd call you. I said, first of all, I am so flattered you think I'm that wealthy that I could give you a million dollars. That just flatters me that you'd ask me. But I'm sorry, I don't have that kind of resource for you. But you're talking about an infinite God that you cannot, if God gave every human being on the, on the face of the earth a billion dollars, when you're infinite, your wealth would not be diminished one bit. You cannot subtract anything from an infinite and it be less than infinity, an infinite. If you abide in me. Look at John 8 and we'll close with this. I did have a 10th R. I think I just kind of, I don't want to get into quibbling about it, but I think I mentioned it without really making a stipulation about it. Refocus, remember, repent, rescue, restore, renew, rekindle, rethink. Okay, it was only going to be eight. 
Then I had, okay, you're right, okay, you're right. So that was the ninth. John 8. Okay, Jesus, let's go to verse 31. Okay, go look at verse 30. John 8, verse, this is page 97. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Uh, this is just an, this is an astounding progression here. Verse 30, John 8. As he said these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, means to live in, move in. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So they believed. They came to the front. They raised their hand. Whatever, whatever we think you do to, meant, to mean you believed. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Stand to your feet. The freedom. The freedom. The freedom, freedom as people say all the time, how costly freedom is. How, how costly freedom is. How much we have to work at it. You see what's going on in the Ukraine. And you realize what would happen if we were fighting for our freedoms. That struggle for freedom in the natural is really the battle we're to fight for spiritual freedom. It doesn't just come by us laying on the couch. I wish it did. I always say to the Lord things like this, Lord, why didn't you make Cheetos healthy? I mean, why is it broccoli? I mean, why couldn't somebody be telling me, you know what, you need to eat more Cheetos, man. Just need more Cheetos, no Reese's Cups. I mean, I could go from Reese's Cups to Cheetos. It could just be an endless... won't work so why God why does you see if we don't focus on the word you won't live in a vacuum if we're not devoted to the word you will be devoted to something as Bob Dylan once saying you're going to serve somebody nature abhors a vacuum which means whatever you whatever you go into neutral Jesus said when the evil spirit leaves someone, it goes into waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will go back to the place where I used to live, but he doesn't come back alone. And it's interesting, the devil, the demons have more humility than most Christians. Because when a demon loses, the demon will say, the demon will go to its other demons and say, man, I, I lost, I got evicted. They said, man, you were doing good. What happened? You had a good thing going on, man. You had a good guy there. He just believed everything you said. He goes, yeah, I was doing good, but they invited this guy to, the, to this church and somebody came up and prayed for me and I mean, I prayed for him and I got kicked, cast out. And it says he goes and gets seven demons more wicked than him. And he goes back for a rematch. And I'm thinking to myself, when a Christian loses, why don't we go and get seven people more righteous than us instead of covering up and hiding? You see, 
there is going to be a, a fight. We're coming in. I, I, I cannot sit here today and not tell you that based on reading this, not looking at the internet, reading this, that difficult times will come. And there, there may come a time when who knows what will happen in the future where it's going to come down to your ability to open this book and regain regain there'll be your tenth one to regain I started to kind of do my teeth like Spongebob to regain the strength of you know what I may have to lead I might just have to lead next man up next woman up be ready to help be ready to share be ready to be put in a crisis where you are now called upon the lead and I don't know I, I know I speak for Pastor James we don't know where you might go in the future but having been here for a few months or even a year we want you to leave wherever you go and be a spiritual blessing. The people that come from this house, when Ricky Bowser comes down to New Orleans to help us, everybody calls me and wants, can Ricky come and just live here? That's what they want. They just, because he represents God's work here so well. And there's so many like that. I could go down the list. Because, and we, we want you to not be dependent on us. We really want you to be empowered. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you tonight for this moment. Thank you that we can be devoted to your word. That we can, we can love you practically, realistically. This is not, this may be over our heads, but it's not out of our reach. I'm asking you tonight to consider reading your New Testament that we've given you every month. Every month. If you'll do that in the next 12 months, 10 chapters a day for 26 days, I promise you, according to God's word, you will never be the same. You will get a new focus. You will regain, you will regain a grip on the promises of God. You will begin to receive promises. You'll begin to see your strength renewed. Your anxiety will drop. I don't care what's going on. The anxiety levels just drop when you begin to turn these other voices off and you spend your extra time binge watching and binge listening to the Bible. And now you begin to run your own thoughts and feelings through the Word. Not just your thoughts, but your feelings. You realize that, hey, I've got a bad feeling here that's not right. It, see, we, well, we know thoughts can be bad, but what about the feelings? The Word of God judges not only the thoughts, but the feelings. And if you obey God, his commandments, the feelings will follow. Don't wait for the feeling to do this. Feelings will follow the obedience. I'm asking tonight, Lord, is even as we, listen, there's no big come down front. I don't have anything. This, this is, this, we could go to the back. There's, there's no place geographically that's going to make any more difference right now than you holding on to this book and making the choice every day to turn to the word and turn something else off and not be distracted, not be diverted, become a person of this book. Bless my brothers and sisters. Encourage them, Lord. God, I pray this doesn't come across as a big 
gloomy weight. Oh, I got to do something and Bethel wants me to read the Bible now and I got so much to do. Oh God, I pray that people would see this is not some kind of getting them to do some religious impossible task. This is going to lift you. This is going to be the one thing you're going to say, man, that's the one good thing I did. It's a one good thing. I started reading that Bible and I'm telling you what, I turned other stuff off and I began to be more like Jesus. It's amazing what happened to me. Thank you, Jesus.